Welcome to the Diversity Church Podcast. This is Pastor Jonathan Ember. We hope that you would just take a moment and listen and receive the Word of God. We know that one word from the Lord can change your life. And so we hope that this message will bless you and transform you in Jesus' name. Excited to actually finish the series that we've been in today called Never Scared. Who's gotten some things out of this series over the last four or five weeks, right? Isn't it been good? We've been talking about the fear of God. We've been in a study on the fear of God and just kind of going through uh, the scriptures to find how important reverence is, to actually um, get our mind on things above a little bit more, to recognize this world in this world that is just seemingly never scared, never thinking about eternal things and eternal consequences. We've been getting a little bit more grounded in this series by discussing the fear of God. And so today I'm going to end this series with a message called You Can't Touch This. Yeah, you guys already know. MC Hammer fans in the house, right? It was a 1990 popular song uh, from MC Hammer called You Can't Touch This. The message is entitled um, really after this song. I'm going to read a story today I've never preached from before. All right, it's actually a very difficult portion of scripture for many pastors, I guarantee. Um, very hard um, to actually rightly divide this portion of scripture in light of the New Testament. But just like last week when we read a story in the New Testament about two people dropping dead, Ananias and Sapphira, and that kind of just brought a little bit more of that fear of God in our life, I believe this story is going to do the same thing. We're going to read a story today that I really believe will provoke the fear of God in our lives. So we're going to read in 2 Samuel chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 9 as we are learning about a story of David and a very intense one at that. Let's read. The Bible says this, that David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. It says he brought together them again because they were at war and doing different things, but he, this is going to be a different scenario. Verse two, he and all his men went to Bala and Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty who's enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. This is talking about the Ark of the Covenant that was in the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament. This is a sacred piece of, of religious equipment for the Jew because they believe that God's presence, and it was not just that they believe, but it was the place where God's presence would dwell in that Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and then later in the temple of the Lord. So they were bringing this, they wanted to bring this to Jerusalem. Verse three, they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Ahio was walking in front of it. Verse five, David and all of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castanets and harps and lyres and timbrels and sistrums and cymbals. They were celebrating that the ark of God was going to be moved to the holy city. Verse six, when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. Verse seven, the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. And irreverence is not having the fear of the Lord. So he reaches out and he grabs this and, and God's anger burned against Uzzah because of this irreverent act. 
Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. And look at David's response. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah, which means the breach of Uzzah. It was named after what Uzzah had did in this moment. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? All right, from this portion of scripture that I've never preached from, never even heard a message from in in church, I'm going to give us three lessons as we're studying again the fear of God. I'm going to give you three lessons from this story. Let's first look at this lesson. Familiarity brings contempt or breeds contempt. Contempt is a word that means that you're thinking of something as lesser than. Contempt means uh, something or someone is beneath consideration or worthless or deserving scorn. How does this connect with this story? Well, let's go back and discover where the ark of the Lord was kept. Remember in 2 Samuel 6, 3, it says that they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab. All right, this man had two sons, Uzzah and Ahio. And so if you look at the study of the Ark of God, it was actually in Abinadab's house for a generation. All right, the Ark of God that was in the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle when when Moses and all of them were going through the wilderness, where the Ark of God was at, it was in the Holy of Holies. And only the high priest was to go in there once a year to actually see this thing and apply blood on this thing as a way to cover the sins of all of Israel. They would only see it once because it was behind this curtain in this holy of holy place. They would only see it once a year, yet in Abinadab's house, this thing that was so holy was just chilling there for a generation. All right. And so when I'm talking about how familiarity breeds contempt, I want you to think about this. They're seeing the ark of God, this holy item that represented God's presence and that actually held the presence of God. They're seeing this thing every single day. Could it have been as they were seeing this every single day, they just thought of it as something common? They saw it every day. They weren't really thinking of it as this holy of holy type of item. They, they, I think as they were seeing it every day, the ark lost its sanctity in their eyes. How often does this happen with the things of God amongst Christians? We're so familiar with the message of Christ, the scriptures. Uh, we have Bibles, like Charles Spurgeon said, uh, enough that they, they have enough dust on them that we could write damnation with our fingertip. We have Bibles on, on our on our phones. We have so much access to the Word of God. We're so familiar if we've grown up even in church that sometimes the things of God lose their sanctity in our eyes because we're just so familiar with them. Instead of looking at God and the things of God, the word of God, the people of God, God's ministers, uh, God himself as holy and amazing and separate and not common. Instead of thinking of him that way, we are actually blinded to his holiness because of our familiarity 
I know that this happens many times in our lives. The other day I was talking to Tavia and and Tavia was talking to her dad and just randomly called me, bruh. Excuse me? Bruh, I'm your father. She's been with me now 10 years. She knows that I'm good. She knows that I'm loving. She knows that I'm kind. She knows that I'm merciful. But guess what? You ain't going to call me bruh. I'm your dad, Tavia. Come on, somebody. You guys know what I'm talking about? Familiarity breeds contempt. We think of things lesser the more we are familiar with them, and we have to guard against that with God and his word and his people and the things that he says are holy. You know, Jesus actually talks about this. Uh, I was thinking about this in relation to this message, and I was thinking about how Jesus said this in Mark chapter 6 amongst his own town and his own people as he went there and he tried to minister to the things of God to his own hometown. You know what he said because they weren't receiving Jesus. They weren't revering him in their hearts. Mark 6, 4 says, Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except for in his own town among his relatives and his own home. Why is that? Because familiarity breeds contempt. You know, they didn't see Jesus as Lord and Son of God and King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The way that they looked at him is this is the son of Joseph. This is the son of Mary. This is the carpenter. This is just that guy who lived in that little house over there. And so when he's coming and he's preaching of them or to them the kingdom of God, they're not receiving this because they're looking at him as something familiar and not something set apart. Why don't we receive from God in the church today? Maybe we're too familiar with Jesus and we're not revering him and the things of him with great reverence in our hearts. Maybe we just think of him as common and this message is common. How often do we hear a a scripture that is read? And I know that already. You you think you're going to receive anything from the Lord coming at him with that attitude? Like, I know this all. I've heard this before. Oh, this is just simple stuff. How about it's holy? Because it's the holy word of God. How about every Sunday that we set apart in our week is holy? It's not just another Sunday. This is an opportunity for Jesus to move because his church, his people, his body are gathered together in his name and he's here in our midst. How about that? How about the things of God in our hearts? How do you view them? Do you look at them as just common I'm just so familiar with this that you've lost the things of God, have lost the sanctity in your eyes, the way you view them. I think that this is so often the case, at least in the Western world. And I know that many people are falling away from the things of God, and now it's becoming a a postmodern society because Christianity is this thing in the past. But many people have grown up in the church in the West and many people have grown up with the things of God and they've heard these stories. And then I even think at least in the modern Christian church, the way that we view Jesus is not like what Peter told us to view him as in first Peter 315. It says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, not just as friend, not just as in a buddy, a homie. A cool dude. 
but revere him. Like have a, a reverential fear of God in your hearts that he is Lord, that he is separate from anything else and anyone else. Do you look at God? Do you look at the things of God like this? Or do you just think this all is just commonplace? This stuff is just common. It's just, it, I've heard this before. It's, it's whatever. Or do you look at it as serious and real? And, and this stuff has eternal consequences. And this stuff has even consequences in my life. Or are you looking at Jesus like this picture I'm going to show you on the screen? We're just looking at him as the buddy Christ. Hey, y'all. You know, this is how our, our culture Looks at Christ. You guys ever watch The Simpsons? Don't watch it. <laughs> How do people view Ned Flanders, the only Christian on the show? Like that right there. Hey, guys. Howdy doody. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this is Buddy Christ. He's just so weird and strange. And maybe he's just so, so buddy-buddy with me that he's never looking at my sin, he's turning a blind eye to you. See the wink on his right eye. It's like, hey, it's all, it's all good. <laughs> right? Like, how often is this the picture that we have in our mind of Jesus? We're not revering him as Lord. We're not looking at him like the book of Revelation talks about with a sharp two-edged sword coming from his mouth, with eyes like the flame of fire, with feet that are like bronze, just completely glowing in the presence of God. You know, when anybody ever saw an angel of the Lord when anybody ever saw a vision of God, you know what they did? They fell on their face. We're so, we're, we're so lax on the fear of God in the modern church because we're just looking at Jesus like that picture. We don't think that there's, there's any holiness in him. We look at the scriptures, there's just something common and we just look at coming to church as just a routine. Y'all, this Jesus that we're talking about, this Jesus that I preach, he is holy. There is no one like him. There will never be anybody like him. He is high and lifted up, and his train fills the temple of God in heaven with glory. This same Jesus is coming back again to judge the world in his righteousness. With him is going to come ten thousands of saints on horses to judge the world in the wrath of God. This is the type of God we're talking about, and we're over here looking at him. Like buddy Jesus. Y'all, have we become so familiar with the things of God? Have we become so familiar with them that it has bred contempt in our hearts for his, him and his word and his things and his people? Let's watch out for that. And let's do what Peter said. Let's revere Christ in our heart as Lord. All right, here's the second lesson we can get from this portion of scripture is irreverence. Is consequential. Irreverence is consequential. Second Samuel six verses six and seven. Again, going back to Uzzah touching the ark. It says, "When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of this irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down 
And he died there beside the ark of God. Now, maybe you're like David in the scenario, like, what is the big deal? I remember reading this the first time thinking, God, like, wait, why did you do this? Did anybody like feel this way when we were reading it in the beginning? You're like, like, whoa, this is crazy, right? Like, that's hard. Like, God, why? Well, let me tell you why. In Numbers 4.15, this is what the scripture told, this is what God told Moses, how he told him to deal with the holy things of the temple, how to deal with the ark of God, how to move it when they were moving, and what to do with the holy items of the temple. This is what the Lord spoke to Moses. After Aaron and his sons had finished covering the holy furnishings and all the holy articles, and when the camp is ready to move, only then... Or the Kohathites to come and do the carrying. Now, let me stop right there. They were carrying the ark of God on a cart. You know where they got that idea from? The scripture actually told the people of Israel to move the ark of God on poles. Again, they weren't to touch it, and we're going to read that in a second. But they were actually to carry it on poles. The reason why they got this idea of a cart is because about 20 years prior, the Philistines actually returned the Ark of God because they captured it, put it in their temple of Dagon. When the Ark of God was in the temple of Dagon, this idol of Dagon fell before the Ark of God as it was worshiping the Ark of God. All of a sudden, in, in Philistine, all people, all sorts of people were getting tumors and they were dying and they kind of had this idea We brought this ark here. We need to return it back to Israel. Come on, the Philistines have more fear of God. Non-believers sometimes have more fear of God. Anyway, so they sent this on a cart with these two um, cows mooing all the way. Anyway, they sent it back and it lands in the house of Abinadab. All right, it goes to the house of Abinadab and that's why it was there. But that came to them on a cart. Well, the Lord never told him to put it on a cart. If you look at the instructions, that God told him to actually put it on poles and carry it on poles. But they were just following the ways of the Philistines, not the ways of God. All right, let's pick up back then in the story. But then it says right there, do the carrying, but they must not touch the holy things or else what? They must not touch the holy things or they will die. The Kohathites are to carry those things that are in the tent of meeting. So when God tells us not to touch something and we touch it, irreverence is consequential. It has consequences. And irreverence is doing the things that God says not to do. Now, when I was thinking about this even further, I'm like, wait, but it doesn't seem like Uzzah had like a desire to breach God. It seems like all he had in his heart was this desire to help God out. All right. And so I think of this as two things with us in this scenario. Either one, he was ignorant of what I just read in Numbers, that he was ignorant of how God told them not to handle the ark or how God told them to handle the ark. And so in the scenario, he's just reaching out out of ignorance, not realizing that if he touches this thing, he would die. Let me say this. Ignorance isn't an excuse for irreverence. Ignorance isn't an excuse for irreverence. 
Y'all, if you don't know in the new covenant how you're supposed to live, get into the New Testament and ask God and read his scriptures on how you're supposed to live. If you're brand new following Jesus, get into the scriptures. Seek them to see how the Lord would require you to walk this Christianity out. Ignorance is not an excuse for irreverence. Matter of fact, in the Old Testament in Hosea, it says, my people perish for the lack of knowledge. Let's dig into the word of God. If we don't know what it says on how to operate our life, then let's dig into it to find out what he says about operating our life. Come on, somebody. Ignorance isn't an excuse for irreverence. And then the other thing about us in this scenario, maybe he did know that scripture in Numbers, but because of the ark shaking after they hit that bump, Maybe he thought, man, maybe that just won't apply to me in this scenario. I'm here. I see the ark about to fall. And so I know that he says, don't touch it or you're, you're going to die. But in this scenario, I think I can do this and I'll be all right. Now, let me say this. Your opinion isn't an excuse to go against God's word either. A lot of us view God's word as something in the past for those people then. But we think that in our day and how we live today, it's different. And so it's okay if I touch this thing, even though God says for me not to touch this thing. It's okay for me to do these things because we live in a different time. It's the 21st century. God's cool with these things. Again, we think of things as common. When God says things are holy, we better know how he tells us to to live our life, to pattern our life. He says, be not conformed to the things of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We're not to think on things that are just below. We're to think on things that are above. And God clearly tells us what we should do and what we shouldn't do. Now, coming back into the new covenant and how this applies to the new covenant, I love how Paul actually is taking these old covenant principles of the tabernacle and the temple of God, where the ark of God would be in the Holy of Holies. And he actually brings this into the New Testament. And he actually is encouraging the church to live holy and not to touch certain things and do certain things because why? We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So just as the ark of God held the presence of God in the Old Testament, he's saying our bodies hold the presence of God in the New Testament. So in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, check this out. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Flee from it. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Now, what is your body? He says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. So church, what he's saying is that same power in the ark of God that Uzzah reached out and touched and was judged for, he's saying that power lives in you and in your body, Christian. And just as Uzzah defiled the ark by touching it, he was a man touching a holy thing that God said don't touch. He's saying your body is that holy thing. And there's certain things that you shouldn't let in your body. Why? You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
So when we sin, even sexually, and if you want to know what sexual sin is and isn't, in 1 Corinthians 6, it gives a whole list of them. If you're brand new to Christ and you didn't know that God had something to say about your sexuality, read 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Very clear portions of scripture for a Christian to live out, again, this holy calling of carrying God's presence as it was in the Old Testament for the priest to carry the ark of God. What if we viewed Christianity like this versus this is just a common thing that everything goes? Maybe we would see more of a move of God if we actually were serious about being carriers of the presence of God, then maybe we wouldn't touch things and go places and do things that we shouldn't do. Maybe we would actually go places and do things that we should do. Why? Because we're recognizing that we're carriers of God's presence, that we are bought with the blood of Jesus. We're no longer our own anymore. Now, I do want to say this, because there's plenty of stuff that the Lord tells us that we shouldn't touch in the new covenant. But can I tell you this? Some people try to add to the rules of God, even in the new covenant, by telling you things not to touch that Jesus never told you not to touch. This is man-made rules, man-made religion. Paul actually talks about this too. I'm going to give you just the, the reference in Colossians 2.22. Easy for you to remember, Colossians 2.22. Colossians 2.22, it says that so many people are over, that are over you are saying, don't touch, don't taste, don't handle. He says, those are just laws of man that are perishing with man. He says, basically, don't believe something that man says. Put your main belief in what God says. How many Christians have been detoured because they were just listening to what man said not to touch? When God says, I never said that. You know what is a perfect example of that? A Christmas tree. You're going to hear this over the next month. If you're on TikTok and you're on Facebook, you're going to hear so many Christians tell you to feel guilty for decorating a Christmas tree in your house. They're going to. Just watch. All right? That might be their conviction. Well, let that be their conviction, but don't put it on everyone because God never said nothing about it. They'll say, no, but in Jeremiah, there's this verse, and they actually completely obliterate the scripture, take one verse out of context about people cutting down trees, bringing those trees into their house, decorating those trees, and they say, that's the Christmas tree. (laughs) Guys, this was like 700 years before Christ, 700 years before Christmas. The context was is that they were cutting down a tree, bringing it into their house, carving it like an idol, decorating it with silver and gold, and bowing down to another God other than the one true God. But people will say, you can't have a Christmas tree. You're doing that. You're cutting it down. You're bringing it into your house, and you're decorating it like silver and gold. No, why don't you know who Jesus is and his word is? Rightly divide that word. You know why? That's irreverence too. When you say God said something that he never said. The third commandment is don't take the Lord's name in vain. And that means more than saying it like a cuss word like GD. It actually is misrepresenting God. You want to talk about what is irreverent to God is when you're trying to speak something, saying he said something when he never said it. You know what he also does? He defends his character. 
He defends his name. And that type of irreverence has consequences too. Trust me, I've preached a lot of legalism based on a lot of human rules over the years of my Christianity. I thank God for teaching me the truth in his word and nothing but that truth because that's where we all got to stand. Come on, somebody. Aren't you thankful that if you're a woman, you can wear pants in a church? Somebody better run around the church right now. Hallelujah. And the new covenant has nothing to do we're talking about what you what, wearing pants. It does say to dress modest, but guess what? Every single Christian, man or woman, needs to discover and ask God in their heart what modesty means and what is living that modest life for you. All right, I, there's so many of them. Don't go to the movies. Don't play cards. I mean, you could just go on. All these man-made rules. The Lord never said none of that. But there's plenty of stuff that He said. All right, and what we're wanting to do is we want to live out obedience to the Lord. And what he tells us is right and good and and purposeful for our life. Because if we don't, irreverence is consequential. Here's the third and final lesson that we get from this portion of scripture, is that fear makes you think. I guarantee you throughout this series, as you've been here listening over the last five messages now, it's made you think about some things. Matter of fact, it should Before you make any decision in your life, we said in the very first message, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So you should go to see what God says and how he tells you to live and what he tells you to touch and what he tells you not to touch if you're going to do a wise thing in your life. So hopefully you've learned that. And this is what David had to learn the hard way here. In in this main portion of scripture, let's go back to verse eight and nine as we are learning that fear makes you think. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah, meaning the breach of Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day. The fear of the Lord entered into his heart after this judgment came. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? This judgment, seeing God actually do something like he did this moment to Uzzah, made David think. Now, the first thing that he thought of, and this is what many people think of when they hear of the judgment of God, when they hear of God just exercising some type of judgment, they they think about the severity of that. And oftentimes, they actually blame God for his judgment, and they're actually angry at God Because God does something that God does, and they don't understand it in their finite mind, and so then they get angry with God. You know who David should have been angry at? Himself. Was it God's fault that God clearly said and told you not to do this, and they did it? Was it God's fault? Maybe David should have asked this question, how should the ark of God travel to Jerusalem in the first place? How often are we angry at God when God's not the problem? We are. How often are we just bitter at God? We're offended at God. God's over here. I told you what to do. And then even if something happens, we blame God when sometimes it's not God or us. It's the devil and we're living in a fallen world and bad things happen even to good people. And we even blame God for that too. But it made him think. He was thinking of the severity of this judgment. He was thinking how Uzzah died, and I'm sure he even felt a little guilty because he was responsible of calling these men and bringing this ark out to go to the next city. 
I was thinking, though, man, how often people are still mad at God for his justice. We don't, we don't talk about this stuff in the church anymore. We act like this part of God's character is, is dead with the Old Testament. We don't see this God as the same in the Old Testament as he is in the New Testament. He's holy and he's just. He's perfect. And so when you hear of messages like this, and matter of fact, this might have been some people's least favorite series in all of Diversity Church's history. Go back and listen to the hell one, too. That might make you think that that one was worse than this. Because we don't agree with God's judgment. But we're not God. We want to view God as the party God. He's just fun all the time. Did you notice that God interrupted their party? They're worshiping. They got the band, 30,000 people marching. They were partying. They were singing. They didn't care about how they should do things. They just cared about the party. Sounds like a lot of churches. We just want to throw events. Just want to have fun. Leave that judgment stuff in the Old Testament. Wait. Jesus says that he's appointed a day in which he's going to judge the world in his righteousness. He told the the Jewish leaders who put him on trial that you're going to see the Son of Man coming in the clouds in judgment. That this Jesus that we're talking about in the book of Revelation, it says that his eyes are like a flame of fire, that out of his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword. And all we look at him is this weak lamb. No, he's coming back as a roaring lion. And all we want to do is just talk about having fun. Y'all, we are here for one purpose. And Jude spells it out so clear at the end of Jude. We're here to snatch people from the fire of hell. And one day we're actually going to come back with Jesus, with 10,000s of his saints, and he's going to execute judgment on this world one day. Oh, really? Yeah, that's the type of God we're talking about. But let's leave church to just having fun and throwing events and partying and having a sweet, fun worship service. Wait, there's an eternal God that we serve that is so much higher than us, so much holier than us. It's about time that we lift him up. And view him and who he is in totality. He's holy and just. Yes, he's merciful and kind. But we can't have one without the other. Or we get this overbearing ogre, if all we do is talk about his justice. Or we get this just buddy Jesus, if all we're doing is talking about having a good time. He is both. This is one thing that I've noticed in church and noticed in theology. The longer I do this thing. In our desire to bring God down to our level, we lose his grandeur in the process. When we only try to understand God in our own finite understanding, it's actually when we're farther away from God. When we view God as holy, separate, uncommon, 
that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Sometimes he does something that I don't agree with. Sometimes he says something that I don't agree with. I take him from my level and my own understanding, and I elevate him to the place that he rightfully owns, which is sovereign king of kings and lord of lords, greater and grander than anything else. This is why we got to get back to this type of music even in our songs. We sing Buddy Christ worship music. What about holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever people had a vision of God in the Bible, even New Testament when Mary and Joseph had a vision of an angel even, just an angel who was in the presence of God, what did they do? They fell down on their face. Why? They saw something that was so uncommon. Now, I know that Jesus became flesh. We call this incarnation. And there is a theology about understanding him becoming a man and showing us God in human form. But Jesus right now is not a a man just in human form. And he's in heaven (laughs) at the right hand of God. And the Bible says we're seated together with Christ in heavenly places. All we want to do is bring God down to our level. I think it's about time for the church to actually get God on his level. Let him be sovereign. Let him be holy. Let him be grand. Let him be just. Let him be, yes, merciful and kind and generous as well. Let us see him the way he describes in the totality of his word. May David think. Made him think. You know what else he thought? He rethought his actions. When he said this, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? What an awesome question. So he takes the next three months and he just goes to study what God said in the Torah, the first five books of Moses. And he goes and he looks and he studies. What is he supposed to do if they're going to move the ark? Now, Again, he should have done that in the beginning. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. He should have actually done that. But what does he do when he makes a mistake? He goes back. He studies. He asks the Lord, okay, what am I supposed to do in this scenario? In this three-month period, he took the ark of God and he brought it to the house of a man named Obed-Edom. Now, this guy was a Gittite. I don't have time to go into all of that, but he is not a Jew, but he houses the presence of the Lord. It's so interesting there because we could get a lot out of that point. Matter of fact, just write that as a mental note and go and study that yourself. There's some beautiful revelation. But the Bible says that Obed-Edom's house for those three months was blessed. As David was trying to discover and actually bring the ark eventually to Jerusalem, there was this three-month period while David was studying the word of God to know how to transport it. That ark stayed in a man's house named Obed-Edom, and his house was blessed. How does this apply to today? The same God who judged Uzzah is the same God who blesses people like Obed-Edom. Again, we're talking about a God, yes, who's just, but is also kind and good and wants to bless us. We just have to know we got to come to him in his prescribed manner. You know how he prescribes us to come to him? By the washed blood of his son, Jesus. That we repent of our sins and believe that he sent Jesus to die on the cross to cover us. Like that high priest would go into the temple and apply blood on that ark 
Jesus went into the temple of heaven and applied his blood to make you and I right with God. Why? Because God wants to bless us. He doesn't want to judge us. God wants to save you. He doesn't want anybody to go to hell. He just wants us to understand how to come to him. And we come to God through his son, Jesus, by faith that he died on the cross for our sins. He rose again so that we would be right with him. I hope that this whole series had stirred us up to stop doing things our way and to come to God in his way. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me today?